Blog Talk Radio. All right, welcome to the Yellow Carded Podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Keith Kokinda. Co-hosting with me tonight is Matt Hoffman uh, from out in California. He, uh, I just got a chance to, uh, coming off a, a brief visit with Jurgen Klinsmann, no less, out there in Carson, as uh, he was watching the United States under 20s. Uh, brief uh, mention, I want to pull. Back to the wing. Brief. Back to the center. You're killing my intro, dude. Center holds it. Did I? Sorry about that. I did not realize it was playing. I thought it had stopped. My mistake. <laughs> so, anyway, I, I apologize for that. I That's okay, I man. After that opening music, I didn't hear anything. I thought, oh, well, it must have killed it somehow. But well, anyway, I, I know you hate what, music, so I was trying to be subtle. <laughs> no, no, I don't hate the I like the idea. I just thought it had stopped. Because I'm looking... Because I looked at your cut, it's in a minute six. I'm like, that was a quick minute six. What the heck happened here? So, I, I, well, so anyway. Well, we got a great show so, today. We got uh, Chris Gluck, yeah, uh, a good man, one of the leading people on there in analytics. He's going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, TJ and Ryan might show up, but uh, first, Keith, um, you uh, take it away. Yeah, so, uh, sad, well, it's sad news because you don't want to see people die, obviously, but... Uh, there are some people who probably uh, uh, I, I'm not. I don't imagine they'll be sending flowers or any, to the to the funeral home. Dan Borislow, who was uh, the founder of the Magic Jack Company, and he controversially bought the Washington Freedom uh, franchise in the women's professional soccer, uh, the last league that was formed before there was. Uh, he passed away yesterday due to a heart attack. He was 52 years old. He's been playing, been out playing, and he. Uh, died of a heart attack. He's, um, of course, a very controversial person in uh, WPS. Uh, a lot of people said he was uh, partially responsible for uh, bringing the league down. Um, certainly players, uh, there were some players in uh, particular, uh, if you go to a pitch side report, uh, Ellen Mesar, uh, who played uh, for Washington Freedom, uh, put up a post uh, back in uh, January 2012 on Pitchside Report uh, outlining what uh, her treatment, uh, his treatment was of her when she was injured and as far as uh, what he was doing in terms of his player, uh, overall player relations. Uh, so wanted to mention that one first uh, as we go into the show. Now, for the show itself, as, as, uh, as Matt mentioned, our guest is is Chris Gluck. Uh, he writes for, he publishes uh, analytics and metrics uh, for MLS, on MLS and the World Cup on possessionwithpurpose.com. It's a WordPress site. Uh, he's also a blogger and analyst on the Columbia newspaper for the last few years covering Portland Timbers. And he occasionally also writes for the Soccer Yanks uh, website. Uh, he actually started coaching uh, soccer in, in England um, even though he's American-born, uh, he ran. It was uh, running uh, Barnum Bulldogs FC near Thetford, England, uh, which is a youth football club. He has a uh, FA Youth License uh, Coaching uh, certification. He also uh, moved back. We moved back to the states. Was in uh, Kent, Washington, where he served as a coach with the IX Youth Football Club uh, up there. So he's got quite a bit of background uh, in, in, as. Uh, Especially for uh, for background for an American board 
uh, person, but now he's uh, big into the uh, analytics and metrics of soccer, which is a relatively new thing. Uh, in fact, until the World Cup, I didn't realize people were doing this. And then on, uh, on last call on ESPN with the World Cup coverage, they had a, a gentleman, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was on a couple of times talking about soccer metrics. And so I wanted you to maybe uh, go into it a little more in depth, Chris, as to what exactly this entails, uh, how it works, and uh, how it applies in terms of how uh, coaches and people who run clubs can apply these sorts of things. Can, can I actually hijack this interview for just one second? Sure, um, go ahead. Hey, Chris, um, there's a gentleman uh, that you, you presented some of your research at the Science and Sport uh, uh, Annual Conference, um, and you met a gentleman there by the name of Ben, is it Knapper or Napper? Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it was the World Conference on Science and Soccer, Matt. Um, it's the first time it was held in the United States, um, in June of this year, and the individual, one of the guys that I met, Ben Knapper, uh, he's Napper. the head stats guy for Arsenal FC. We had some interesting chats about soccer statistics in general and and the uh, different ways and means that clubs, organizations leverage video and soccer science performance for, for players and teams. Very cool. Very cool. Well, congratulations. That's a, that's a pretty awesome honor. So uh, congratulations on that. Um, why don't we just get started talking? Let's talk some MLS here. Um, right now, um, Seattle looks pretty much uh, unstoppable. Um, what, do, what do you see going on with them, metrics-wise? Well, it's, it's interesting. They're, uh, let me pull up a few oh. things. And I guess a sub-question um, would be, you know, we're so used to Seattle doing so great and then kind of floundering. Um, and, yes, I did choose that word on purpose uh, <laughs> when it comes towards the playoffs. Um, do you see that being a, being a possibility with this team this year? Uh, you know, um, no. Um, and, and here's why. But, but before I think I give you here's why, I, mm-hmm. I think I ought to probably set the stage a little bit. When, when I do uh, soccer analysis, I don't look at goals scored or goals against. I, I look at the bigger picture. So if you can uh, visualize, um, you know, either you have possession or you don't have possession. And part of that possession is passing accuracy. And then when you penetrate the final third, um, there, there's the will of the organization with the intent to score goals. So there's through balls, there's uh, crossing, any, anything and everything that an organization can do to try to generate a goal-scoring opportunity. And then from there, you have shots taken, uh, shots on goal, and then goals scored. So, so in, in, in the overall view of the analysis that I do, I'm looking at six primary steps. It's not just the goals at the end of the day. It's, it's all the process that goes along with that. And, and to back that up for a minute, I also look at how the opponent does against the team in those six steps. So it's like a mirror image. You look at yourself and how you do an attack, and the same statistics are measured against you in how your opponent does an attack. So, so when I look at Seattle, for example, and we've got 19 weeks of data. So what, what I've got here is 19 games of Seattle in attack in 19 games of Seattle in defense. And looking at the overall view of how they've done in attack, Seattle has been the best in team performance 
in possessing the ball, having the passing accuracy to go along with the penetration, the creation, and the generation of shots resulting in goals scored. On the flip side, Seattle also happens to be the fifth best in Major League Soccer in how their opponents do against them. In other words, uh, Chicago is the worst defending performance team so far this year. Seattle is fifth best. Now, on the, when you look at Kansas City, what most people think Kansas City's at the top in defense. Well, they are. When you look at the index over the 19 weeks, they're at the top of the index. But they're not quite there when it comes to attack. They're just the opposite of Seattle. They're fifth in attack. So, so when you look at the balance of, of the league standings, which measure a qualitative result, which is a win, a draw, or a loss, the qualitative results match the quantitative data that goes with it. But it's not just goals scored or goals against. And I've kind of probably gone on a little bit there. So, so if there's any questions or, or did I scratch the itch, Matt? Well, you certainly piqued my curiosity because I have to admit I was I was a little bit uh, I guess skeptical, for lack of a better word, on this. Although some of, some of what you say does make sense to me, especially in terms of the time. Uh, the time in attack and the creation of goal scoring chances because that you know, that to me means a lot more than just pure possession and pass completion numbers because we saw one of the criticisms we saw of, of Barcelona in spite of their success was yeah they pass the ball a lot they connect a lot pass they keep the ball a lot but sometimes they get exposed uh, because they don't get into oh I do the ticky tack of soccer is what it was derisively described as. So, you know, I like what yeah. you say. I like, the, yeah, I like what you hear you say. It's not just having the ball and completely passing it. It's what you do with it when you get into the other teams attacking third. That, to me, is what makes the big difference in this kind of thing because I always, when I play on teams, I always tell them, look, the more we have the ball in their half of the field, the tougher it's going to be for them to score goals. And you kind of, uh, through a lot more analysis and research, obviously, have uh, kind of proven that point. Yeah, and, and you can flip it around, too. Like, for example, yes. with Barcelona. If, 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 if you've seen Chivas play, at least in the first 10 or 15 games, you know that they play a very high line, which is two banks of four just above the 18-yard box. I don't know if they still play that same high line now, but but the amount of penetration that their opponents had passes into within the final third was quite low, which means what they're doing is they're minimizing penetration into the final third. And in Barcelona might get that penetration in the final third, but if a team's playing a low defensive two banks of four in and around the 18-yard box, then as that space constricts, that ability to get that open space goes away, and therefore the shots on goal reduce. So, so basically what's happened is other teams have learned how to defend against Barcelona's attack. And have they altered their attack? Well, if you saw Spain this year, no. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that Spain and Barcelona are one and the same, but... But that same sort of four six zero type of uh, yeah. 
tikka taka as as you refer to it um does does address that type of possession that you talk about did, yeah, does that, that make sense there's a lot yeah Absolutely. there's a lot there was yeah, because we saw, especially during Spain's run, not just Barcelona, a lot of commonality between the two sides as far as not just style, but also the players of the field as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you look at the contrast, um, and, and most people probably saw the United States when they played Belgium, when, when they played Germany, and, and so on. Uh, you, you look at the contrast of the United States, they, they didn't behave like Shivas. They didn't play two packs of four above the 18. They played two packs of four within and around the 18. So they allowed the penetration with the intent of trying to do the same thing that the teams have tried to do against Barcelona. Minimize the space, <coughs> excuse me, the opportunity for the attacker to get that clear shot taken that generates a shot on goal and a goal scored. Because... Because you know that I mean here, here's the other thing about goals scored and goals against, I and I think it's pretty critical to understand that, you know there was a study done by Anderson and Sally and by who worked for Prozone, they looked at ten years worth worth of data in the uh, English Premier League, and goals not scored have more value than goals scored. I'm not sure if 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 I say that well enough that that it's understood but on average goals not scored generate 2.5 points per match versus so parking goals the bus. scored yeah generate one point per match. am i correct sorry you're talking about goals not scored by a team's opponent, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and well, you can and you can even look at it this year. You can look at New York, and you can look at Portland, and you can see, as a matter of fact, even Philadelphia, really, <coughs> you can see that the goals against have proven more detrimental to New York and Portland, the conference winners last year, than the goals scored. Yeah, All right, well, Portland's doing fantastic on the offensive end, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, very, you know, um, Brad, Bradley Phillips is very much looking like he could be, you know, the single-season uh, goal-scoring goal leader. Um, you know, something interesting about Seattle is they're not really a good first-half team. I mean, they're not bad, but they generally tend to go into the half down a goal. They've, I think, uh, if I'm right, they've only scored two goals in the first half, but yet in the second half, they're completely dominant. Is there any rhyme or reason to this? Well, you know, I can, I can offer what my personal thoughts would be on that, and, and it has very much to do with the same thing that happened when uh, Portland played Colorado this past weekend. There, there's a certain amount of energy that gets expended in, in, you know, the first 45 minutes of a game, and if you looked at the mm-hmm. pace, and as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, Seattle's a good example. I mean, they average ooh, 450 or so passes per game. So, so when you look at the the amount of energy that they're expending in the first half, it doesn't. In in some cases, it's not really the point of them ending up getting a goal. It's the point of them ending up wearing the opponent down to generate better opportunities to create space as the game changes with 60 or 70 or 80 minutes gone. 
Um, and, and I'll give you a, a, a flip side example um, from uh, Simon Cooper's book on soccernomics. Uh, Dennis Burkamp was polled regularly at the 60-minute mark, and the reason why he was polled is because his performance on the pitch dropped considerably after 60 minutes. And, you know, I, I've never been a, a player that's played extensive minutes in soccer, but I think lactic acid can build up pretty quickly, and I think it's the 60 oh, yeah. to 75-minute mm-hmm. mark where, where players have that downward trend and, and just just like Portland did against Colorado, they scored two goals within a matter of five minutes between the 70 and 75-minute mark, I think. Yeah, and, and that's why you see a lot of times <coughs> managers talk about that period from, say, 50 to 70 minutes at a time where, okay, if I put in a substitution now, it might change things. And you said uh, that's, that's a common place to see a substitution, especially if a team beats a goal. Just want to make sure, uh, Ryan, I know you're there. I'm anxious to jump in. Ryan Seelock has also joined us as well. Ryan, uh, Chris Buck is our guest tonight, a specialist in uh, soccer analytics and metrics. Welcome aboard, Ryan. Good to see you again. Hey, you too. Just wanted to jump in early here. Yeah, glad you did. Uh, so if there's anything you want to ask Chris, now Chris, I'm kind of hesitant on this one, but... Uh, Feel the Columbus free. crew were not done very well recently. Uh, they just, in fact, the, the win this past weekend against Montreal was only their second win since they began the season with three straight victories. Do the, does the data bear out that Columbus has really been uh, as bad as they seem to be? Oh, well, good question. Um, you know, you know, the first probably seven or eight weeks, they they – well, they they got a new head coach, and and so yeah. when you get a new head coach, you know there's that that surprise factor. Um, right. I I think that that some others might not want to admit can happen with a with a football club, but you know in in looking at Columbus overall throughout the season, they've they've gone from being near the top half in the attacking and defending indexes that I have to being mid-table. Um, as a matter of fact, like I can recall probably the third or fourth week of the season, they were at top of the table in, in my attacking index. And now they're what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They're tenth. They're, they're mid-table in attack. So, so and, and you know, these, these performance indicators, to give you an idea of the, what I consider to be the strong accuracy of them is when when I did all of this last year, the top five teams in the West in my index were the top five teams that made the playoffs. Now, the index didn't match one for one, but the top five teams in the Eastern Conference that made the playoffs were the top five teams that were Eastern Conference teams in my overall index as well. And then when I did the World Cup, which I did not expect to see relevance, the top two teams in the World Cup were Germany and Argentina, and and then France, and then Colombia was up there, Costa Rica was up there, England wasn't up there, Portugal wasn't up there, even the United States wasn't up there. I mean, you know, to to me that's a good indicator that they played out of their shirts to to get to the next round. But for for Columbus on the defensive side, they're they're still up there. They're they're the sixth best team, 
overall in the index in defense. But but a critical piece of this is I, I don't penalize or I don't promote teams if they garner a yellow card or or a red card or the opponent gets a yellow card or red card. Um, I I just I've made a just the recognition that you know, if a team gets a red card, their performance is probably going to drop anyhow because they only got 10 players on the pitch. Their possession will go down. It's quite likely their passing accuracy will go down. So I don't, you know, I don't double penalize. Um, but, but anyhow, so, so the, I think to answer your question, Columbus is not performing as well as they did the first half of the season. That, that's for sure. Ah. Yeah, I and, have to jump in real quick. Your first two with two things. I'm with Stephen, back from Boston. Uh, welcome aboard. Uh, glad you could join us here tonight, albeit briefly. Yeah, I, I, I figured I'd I figured I'd call in and just listen because obviously, because for some reason my my pad won't allow me to listen to this wonderful show that I created. But if I <laughs> I can only listen to the irony. I can now, Chris, there's one other thing I want to ask you, and I'm again, I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm pardon my cynicism on this, but one of the things you made, you made a point uh, about the United States of the World Cup in regards to uh, a little bit of a contrast to the data. In fact, you said playing out of their shirt. I've for a while in the mid to late '90s, I occasionally dabbled in fantasy sports, and. I realized it was kind of an exercise of futility, first of all, because they usually got beat, number one. But I realized... You probably picked Cleveland players, too. <laughs> no, I, I usually avoided drafting Cleveland players when I did that. That was that was one of my rules of thumb. Uh, as a native Clevelander, <laughs> that's part of the reason why. But I, well, one of the, the, the fascinating things about sports, and I make this argument a lot on the show, is that sports are not entertainment. And the, the big difference is you go to a sporting event or you watch one, there isn't a single person on the face of the earth who can tell you anything with any accuracy as to what's going to happen and how it's going to turn out, as opposed to entertainment, which is all pre-planned in advance, and somebody knows how it's going to turn out, how it's going to end, how it's going to play out before it happens, even if nobody's seen it before. Somebody knows. They just won't tell you. And to me, one of the things I realized, I finally dawned on me about fantasy sports is, the human element's gone at that point. People are purely talking about the numbers. And, while I, and, I, and I realized that I, I, it was kind of reinforced when I watched the 30 for 30 film, silly little game about the creation of fantasy, the guys who created fantasy, the guys and the woman who created fantasy baseball, which kind of exploded into what it is today. And you know, one of them, Daniel Oakred, who basically invented, invented fantasy baseball, made a point about how you know, some of the stats they've created in baseball have made people better fans. And I thought, well, it's made them understand the numbers better, but I don't think it makes them better fans necessarily. And I just, and to me, I'm obviously from what you've you proven, these numbers have a lot of merit. And I'm not denying that at all, believe me. But I just think one of the things that is, that is about sports that's the most appealing is that human element, that thing out of nowhere, so, and especially in a game like soccer, because I've always told people, soccer is a, is a, to me is the perfect team game because, yes, you need teamwork and you need to work Keith? as a team. But Keith, there's enough – hold on. Yeah. Keith, what's your question? Well, yeah, what's your I'll, question? Actually, 
Well, here, Keith, Keith, let me take what you've just offered and run with it for about five, you know, for for a minute or two. In in describing the analysis that I do, I and I and I recognize what you're saying about the human element. As a matter of fact, I agree with you 100%. And that's the very reason why I've stayed away from expected goals and the repeatability of expected goals and goals scored. Because the human element of the game is there's 22 players, one referee, two assistant referees, and two head coaches that all influence the outcome of a game, be it at the 5 or 10. Not to mention one very stupid ball. (laughs) Yeah, well, but but here's the thing. As I I think, and I probably didn't do a very good job of it, but but within a game of soccer, as I just tried to – describe it earlier, I, I view the game of soccer as a bell curve. There's, there's all these activities that take place on the pitch that are done potentially in parallel, not in series like baseball. And, and to me, the standard deviation, you know, the, the, the fourth or fifth standard deviation to the right is the goal scored, which is that statistic, unhuman element, if you will. So, so the, the possession with purpose view actually tries to account for the amoeba-type behavior of the game of soccer as it occurs. You know, it, for example, here, here's one thing. You know, I'm not saying Chad Marshall's not a great defender as a center back, but there's views that say, look at all these tackles, look at all these clearances that Chad Marshall has as a defender for Seattle. And they're saying he's a great defender. Well, the flip side to that is, is if I'm a head coach and I know there's potentially a weaker player on the pitch, I'm going to try to drive the majority of my activity towards that weaker player. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Especially yeah. when, so, so especially when it's, kind of like seeing a, um, it's kind of like a defensive player in football who makes a lot of tackles. Well, if he's making a lot of tackles, one of the things that means is the other team's got the ball an awful lot. How ironic that yeah. a Sounders player would be overrated. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's true, though, Matt, but, but I did see Kyle <laughs> Martino on, on the latest telecast talk about Chad Marshall doing great. And, and mm-hmm. I've heard that from a few other folks, and I'm not saying he's not a strong center back. But it's, okay, but there's, there's other things that go on in the game of soccer, like you mentioned, Keith, the human element, yeah. right? So, so right. I'm, I'm with you 100%. And, and, and here's the thing uh, about the, the possession with purpose, and I, I don't want to defend it, and I hope I'm not giving the impression that I am, but, but I also have what's called a predictability index that's built from this. And the predictability index uses all of the same data points with the exception of goals scored. So it really takes that, that last second, you know, third or fourth or fifth standard deviation and kicks it into touch. And you just look at the five things that occur before a goal is scored. And, and over the course of the last four weeks, since I've developed the index, um, I'm right around 75% accurate in predicting the outcome of a game before the game occurs. And it's all well, based that, upon... 
the bell curve of activities that the teams have shown over the last 19 weeks of soccer. I'm glad you wow. brought that up because it's, it's yeah that's that's great that you you studied that sort of thing and realized that factor to it because as I, you know, I was going to say earlier to me soccer is the ultimate team game because you know, yes you need to work together as a team. But there's enough room, in fact, to a certain extent, offense requires it. The attack requires a certain amount of individual creativity, a spontaneous act. It's, I remember reading um, about in Ken Dryden, uh, the, Hall of, the Montreal Canadiens Hall of Fame goaltender, how he talked, was talking about his time in England, talking about the game of soccer as it relates to hockey in Canada. And one of the things he mentioned was the attack, and in Italy they have a phrase, inventa la partitia, which means to invent the game. But for, a lot, mm-hmm. for, for offense to succeed, a player sometimes has to just create something out of nothing. And soccer hey, allows more Keith. room for that than any other game. Keith. Yeah, yeah. I hey, agree. Uh, so, um, I want to ask uh, Chris a question and hand it over to Ryan. Um, so, what, there, now there is an index uh, that Major League Soccer uses called the Castrol Index. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, yeah. on Castrol Index? And uh, <laughs> do you have any? Uh, do you think it's? Uh, do you think it's worthwhile? Well, um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll give two short answers um, to, to begin with. No, I don't think the Castrol Index is worthwhile. Um, <laughs> and and and. And, and here's why. Um, I, and I don't look at individual statistics. I, I look at the game as a team game, um, and anybody can score a goal provided the opportunity exists where open space is available to create and take a shot on goal that scores. So, and, and, and like the, the other thing, like the Chad Marshall example, but but you know I talked Ben Napper and I talked about this the this head stats guy for Arsenal FC. There there's activities that occur in a game of soccer that don't get measured, and a and a good example of that is a player's got the ball on the left wing, and he's looking to make a penetrating pass into the final third on the left side, but it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That doesn't get measured. What gets measured is the pass that's a lateral pass to the midfield because that's the action that took place. But the reason that pass down the left wing didn't get made is because the right fullback was playing in the right position to deny the opportunity for that pass to be successful. So, so when you, 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 you say that players are successful individually in passing, that, that's great. But but that's a function of how the other players behave around them to create and use space in order for to facilitate that pass being of benefit. In the same token with respect to a you know a shot taken. You know, I can you can put 20 crosses onto the penalty spot from the right side. And like Belgian did. Yeah. And if you got <laughs> and if you got two center backs that are doing defensive clearances on all 20 of those, you know, that's, that's not a poor reflection on the right winger, Mertens. That's a great reflection on the two center backs. But Mertens, who's just put in 20 balls to the, into the six-yard box, just, you know, just the top of the six where the penalty spot is, he gets no credit for that other than it's a cross attempted. 
Every one of those was unsuccessful. But yet, if he does that against a team that doesn't have two center backs that perform appropriate defensive measures, then he's the best right winger in the world. So, so it, it, you know, individual statistics have value with, for me, when they're only relative to how the team performs in attack as a whole versus defense as a whole. I, don't, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, that was a very good question. Ryan, you have a question yeah. now, and then we've got to get to our next guest. Sure. So go ahead, Ryan. Fire away. Um, I guess uh, everything is pretty self-explanatory from what he said. I think it's pretty cool well, metric myself, so I really don't have any questions, I guess. Okay. Well, uh, well you know, he, you we, I know you're a that. Chicago Fire guy, and uh, Chris talked about um, – well, actually, can you just talk about uh, the transition uh, in defense? Uh, you mentioned this earlier about the Fire's defense being <laughs> – I'll just go ahead with that. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'll talk too much to the to the defense, but um, I, you know, it's Yallop, isn't it? Right? Mm-hmm. I'm having <laughs> Alzheimer's, suffering Alzheimer's here because there's Clopas as well. I mean, it was musical chairs at the end of last season. Um, right. But but you know, here here's what what I thought I saw in the team performance statistics with San Jose last year. When, when Yallop got sacked, it appeared to me as if Yallop was trying to play a little bit more possession-based and a little bit less direct attack. And, and I think what happened was is that Watson convinced the senior leadership in San Jose that, no, we don't really want to try to go in that direction. We want to still try to stay as a direct attacking team. Hence, you've got Leonard and you've got Wondolowski and you've got the tall player, in the small player, you know, the, the poacher and then the, the target, center forward. So, so Yallop left, and then he got hired by Chicago. Now, the key thing for me that I looked for with Chicago was, did they look to bring on board another Leonard or Gordon? Or, uh, well, I won't use Cooper because he's, he's, not, he's not a typical number nine. Or like a Johnson. And, and, and no. Yallop didn't do that. So, so to me, that reaffirmed the fact that Yallop was trying to mold and work towards playing more possession-based, counterattacking, keep the ball on the ground, as opposed to direct attacking. But I, but I think the, the issue with, with Yallop this year is, is I'm not sure that the team has the appropriate makeup skills to, to drive towards what Yallop wants to do. Now, he's, he's brought in some good young players, and I think he's going to continue to do that. And, and the reason why I, I sense that Chicago didn't have those type of players to begin with is because their style of attack matched team performance-wise, you know, passes, penetrations, possession, etc. It matched what San Jose did last year. And then if you look at how Montreal plays this year under Clopas, He's a guy that likes to play the ball down the wing, play direct attack. So, so to me, I think, you know, for, for Chicago Fire fans, I think they need a bit more patience to get Yallop the opportunity to get more appropriate players to fit the system that he wants to coach to. Right, now, Chris, real, yeah, really quick, give me a chance here to pl- uh, promote yourself. Uh, 
before we go on to our next guest. And I mentioned your website, possessionwithpurpose.com. Uh, where else can we find you in terms of where you write social media and that sort of thing? Well, uh, it's www.possessionwithpurpose.com, all one word. Um, I write once a week for Soccer Yanks, myself and uh, Dan and a couple of the other guys. We, we do an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference uh, top ten and top nine. Uh, and it's just six of us acting as pundits, if you will, you know, offering up who's better or worse. I actually use my index to, to rank the teams uh, for myself. But, and then I, I cover the Portland Timbers um, on a regular basis. I do pre-match and I do post-match. Um, and actually, I'll also be uh, – I got my press credentials. I'll be sitting in the press box for the All-Star Games. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, Portland Timbers hosting the uh, hosting Bayern Munich, uh, the European yeah, yeah. Cup. Yeah, yeah, Chris Chris Gluck, uh, soccer uh, metrics and analytics expert. Again, possessionwithpurpose.com is his website. Uh, it was here on the Yellow Carded Podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Glad to be joined us. Hey, today, Chris. real Take fast, Chris. You what's your uh, yeah, sure. What's Chris? Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, uh, it's uh, it's Chris Gluck. PWP and and thank you guys for for the opportunity to come on and and offer up some thoughts. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Um, Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Believe me, you opened up my mind a lot on this on this subject. Uh, as I said, I was a little bit skeptical, uh, but a lot of what you say makes sense uh, because you take it beyond what you conventionally see put up on a TV screen graphic or something like that. We do appreciate that. Now, uh, one of the things we've talked about a lot on the show uh, with the World Cup that was just held was the response of the media, specifically the more mainstream media, how they've responded and, uh, in terms of covering the World Cup. And one of the people, uh, Steve and I both had a chance to cross paths with uh, electronically and get a chance to appear on her show is Michelle. She is a social media expert. Uh, she also hosts Morning Michelle, which is on 11 a.m. Eastern Time uh, here on Blog Talk Radio as well. Uh, she also has, uh, appears as a guest frequently on the Greg DeMarco, show, where she, uh, Greg DeMarco show and teaches people about how to use social media. And Michelle, welcome aboard to the Yellow Carter Podcast. We're glad to have you on here tonight. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, as I said, you're someone who's probably spent a lot of time covering the, the major sports, and you've developed recently an interest in soccer. And as I said, you were gracious enough to have Stephen and I uh, come on your show prior to the World Cup. Uh, I was never on her show. I don't, I don't know that? where you're going with this, Keith. I've never been on Michelle's show. Oh, you were? I thought you were. Okay, well, I was. No, so I, anyway. I was on Nikki's. <laughs> okay, that's right. Nikki's show is where you are. Okay, my mistake there. Uh, Nikki X-Force Radio. But anyway, uh, Michelle, uh, you were gracious enough to have me on your show prior to the World Cup. Uh, and we've talked about the social media connection especially. What was it that uh, drew your interest in the first place and to maybe why to look into the game more, maybe pay, learn about it more and pay some more attention to it? Probably the trends. I mean, that's pretty much how I pay attention to what's trending on social media and do a lot of reporting on what's trending. So I think Twitter was all over the World Cup. And then a lot of the radio stations that um, you mentioned one, and, and Stephen, you're more than welcome to be on Morning Michelle anytime. So you know, I did um, I did pay attention to the trends that Twitter was 
putting out there, and then also, you know, the, the papers, the sports papers. So, I mean, I think it was just a combination of things. But to be honest with you, mostly I follow the trends, and Twitter was all over this. It was, you know, all over this, and so were the people. Um, you know, avid sports fans, I have a lot of followers who enjoy the game internationally and also domestically. So I kind of wanted to know what was going on. Well, that's it's something we've talked about on the show before, and I remember a couple of years ago when uh, the Olympics were in London, a lot of people talked about it being the social media Olympics. Well, I think it's fair to say this was the social media World Cup. Uh, Twitter was uh, specifically uh, was doing a lot. One of the things they did was they had they would have a bar right to copy your Twitter feed showing what game was going on or how to link to the games. They would have tweets from the media uh, as well as link, as well as the uh, Twitter uh, handles for players and uh, uh, countries' uh, governing bodies as well. Uh, how Obviously, you, you talked about but maybe uh, a little more time as far as your social media expertise uh, as far as what you saw in terms of the uh, your Twitter and other social media really spreading the word about the World Cup, uh, maybe to people who hadn't really uh, paid a whole lot of attention to it. I think the emotional contagion is what's fascinating about Twitter. And one of the things, I mean, Twitter had on the right side, like if you if you are, you know, not just using your phone, but if you happen to be on the computer, they had the games and the times of the games, which they don't always do that. So that's, that's one thing that was, you know, Twitter was doing. And Twitter even, you know, when you signed on to Twitter, the background had the World Cup there. So there was a lot of press from Twitter itself. And then as far as people, individual, you know, accounts such as USA Today or uh, USA Today Sports or just different shows, the hashtags that were on the trends, you know, the trends, and I follow mostly the United States trends, but you had Brazil, you had the games, you had the hashtags. I mean, you, you even had handles for specific hashtags. You had all of the teams. So, so the, I think it was just phenomenal that, and even when you were watching the games on television, the Twitter handles or the hashtags were mentioned. So my thought is that live streaming is going to become more and more in the future. Internet radio will become more popular, and the major networks are going to almost play catch-up, if you will. And, and that's, that's what I see. I see Facebook and Twitter being very, very dominant in, in controlling what people are watching because when you put something up there that's trending, people pay attention to it, and that's what happened with the World Cup. I mean, you had World Cup 2014, you had World Cup, and then you had the different games that were going on when you had a penalty, when you had a yellow card, when you had a red. All those things were included in the United States trend. Are you there, Keith? Did I lose you? Yeah, I, I, I lost it. I might have to say. One of the things we oh, talked Sorry, Keith, talked I was going to ask a question. Go ahead, Matt. You can jump in. I- Hey Michelle, this is Matt Hoffman. I've uh, I've not been on your show or or on Nikki's show, um, okay. but I wanted to ask you. So, um, for what Keith explained to me, that you're you're new to soccer. Um, what have you found that you like about the game, and what have you found that like maybe you're like, I don't understand why they do this, and do you think that maybe you might be interested in going to MLS game after the World Cup experience? Um. Well, I'll answer the latter 
question for I would definitely go to a game. I mean, there's not even a question in my mind that I wouldn't go to a game. In fact, another thing, too, I saw Rihanna was all over. You know, that was another thing. So you've got the young people who might follow Rihanna. You know, she was tweeting all about Germany during the final game. So that's just, you know, that's, I think, another – I know that that wasn't your exact question, but I just remembered that it popped into my head. As far as me – um, you're asking me, like, what, what maybe I might have had questions with regard to the actual game itself? Is that what you asked me? I'm sorry. Like, was it just that, no, that, you know, like, when I was... Well, when no, we talked uh, pre-show, mm-hmm. uh, Keith was like, yeah, Michelle, she, she's never watched soccer before. She's totally new to it. And so that was what they told me, but I could be wrong. It's true. No, that's true. Okay. In fact, okay. in, no, in fact, I really, I mean, I can't say I never. I mean, in gym class, I might have had to play it. And as far as, but I, and I've seen, I mean, I did watch Italy, I think a couple years ago, I was walking, you know, through the city and I, and I walked past the bar and I heard all this loud noise and, you know, it was, I think Italy was playing in a, in a, maybe even a final game. So I, it's not like I've never seen a game, but I don't follow the sport. I've never had anyone, you know, play the sport that I'm close to. So as far as the rules and then the rules of the World Cup, I was definitely asking Keith, I, I know absolutely nothing nothing other than I know you can't use your hands, and that's pretty much all I know. I know it's a very popular game. I know throughout the world it's, you know, incredibly popular, but as far as as far as far me knowing anything about it, all I really know is that you can't use your hands, and I learned what a yellow card is. You know, I've got some followers who, who are really, really interested, you know, very interested in the World Cup, and so, you know, I was able to talk about it intelligently I mean I'm not you know it's not like I don't understand the you know I, I didn't understand the penalty kicks I didn't understand the extra time I didn't understand the uh when I was asking Keith you know the extra time like at, when the game is over and then all of a sudden I guess the, the rest are they called rest that you're allowed yes, to yes they are out or I'll the <laughs> you okay, know more so than Ian Coulter okay. okay so now I'm looking for all, all of what I just learned I learned since the World Cup, I learned within the past two weeks. Like, everything I just said, I learned in talking with Keith and or, you know, the people who follow and that I was going back and forth with the game. So that's, you know, that's what I, I learned. I didn't know those things. Did you have a favorite World Cup moment? Like, something about the World Cup that you're like, wow, this is really cool. Or, conversely, wow, this is what I'm going to get myself into. <laughs> Oh, you know, actually, I watched the games in Spanish, and I and so if I and this may sound really lame, but you know what I loved? I loved the way that the the emotion. I, I think I saw some of mm-hmm. the, some of the people. Like I loved the emotion yes. that people reporting. You know, and people are talking like they actually truly care. To the point that you know, so I love, I loved that. I love that you know the way it's you know. I mean, it was a little bit frustrating when I would hear, you know, I would think like, oh, what did I miss? And then it was no, it was a save. I was like, oh wait, I thought he scored. I mean, so you know, I, yeah. but it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's just that that was you know that was kind of unique in that the announcers are so so um, passionate even when someone doesn't score. So I you know that. But it's, yeah, been, am in, I right? In, is, 2000, is, is, in 2006, I watched Univision, too, because the ESPN coverage was terrible that year. Oh, okay. But ESPN <laughs> yeah. was good this year. Like, they're getting better? Or oh, yeah. Fox, oh, so much yeah, better. But now it's Fox. 
Yeah, what what date did this time compare to even to, to 2006? It was uh, light years ahead, and, uh, and and as I said, it was the big surprise was how ESPN really went all in on this because this was their last World Cup. Starting in 2015, Fox takes over. Uh, you know, ESPN, I don't think would have caught too much heat if they say, you know what, we're going to mail this in literally. We'll send a couple people down there. We'll do everything out of our studios up here in Bristol. We're not going to spend a lot of money on this because why should we bother when it's not going to benefit us in the future? But they really went after They took it so seriously and got rave reviews all across the board for it. It was really wonderful to see. And uh, the other thing, Michelle, I should mention, I wanted to make sure I thank you. I know you were talking a lot about... <coughs> You know, me trying to, you know, educating you and stuff, and I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I did a couple of live tweet sessions during the last couple of rounds of the semifinals of the final, and she had some people uh, who are some of her followers asking me different things, so I, I graciously thank you uh, for giving me that opportunity to do that. I really did enjoy that. Uh, if nothing else, my typing skills on my phone improved drastically over the last three weeks. I can type so much faster on my phone now than I could a month ago. It's remarkable. Uh, there you what go. The, uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, I've talked about on the show uh, is how how social people, fans of the game, they able to use social media to help spread the popularity, especially in places, especially in the leagues other than MLS, the lower tier leagues, the North American Soccer League, the USL Pro, and even the uh, National Premier Soccer League. Uh, you know, for, and it's it's really influenced the media. And as I've told I've told you this before too. You know, this sports media is much like the entertainment media. In what they cover is largely driven by what the public demands they cover. You know, people you know sit there and say, you know, this celebrity. I don't care about this celebrity. I don't care about this royal or whatever. Well, guess what? Millions of people do. Therefore, the media go and cover them. It's the same way in sports. The NFL is enormously popular. That's why they get the year-round 24-7-365 coverage. Here in Columbus, Ohio State football is enormously popular. They talk about it all the time. I know one person I know at the major sports talk show here in Columbus has said, told me, what, hey, I love hockey. I love the Blue Jackets. I wish I could talk more about it. But if I do, my boss is going to be sending me emails saying, hey, get back on the subject that makes us the most money. And... But the social media, to me, really has changed that in terms of making the media aware of what's going on with people who like the game. The one, the one column I vividly remember is by an uh, Indianapolis Star columnist who was an admitted soccer basher throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I remember when he was in Cleveland, he ripped the sport every chance he got. And during the World Cup, he wrote a surrender column. He said, hey, I tried... All my media colleagues tried for years and years and years to stop this game, to ridicule the people who follow it, to do everything we can to keep it down. Guess what? We lost. It's over with. The fans won out. The game has won out. We can't do anything about it. As far as uh, as far as far uh, fans and social media are concerned, uh, what, do you, what advice would you have for people who love the game and and maybe love a particular club and want to get the word out more. What would you tell them? Uh, I think that I think that for one thing, I understand what you're saying as far as you know what drives, and and I think that if you have a particular club, the social media can can do a phenomenal job. And um, you were talking 
first you were talking about the the, the different you know stations that are bashing and or whatever, and I listened to Fox in the morning, and they were talking about, you know, oh, I can't believe I'm watching soccer, oh, it's horrible, blah, blah, blah. And then you're absolutely right that the the social media is what's happening. People are going to those radio shows and saying, hey, you know, we're watching it or we're loving it or we're doing this. What I would recommend for an individual, for an actual club or a team is to have, to use Twitter in a manner that, that you don't see it restricted by 140 characters because that's a myth and it's a myth I like to bust often. Also, to appreciate the quality as opposed to just the quantity. So in other words, it's not so much it's not so much having a certain number of followers and a lot of people in the media business, they make the mistake of judging just based on quantitative numbers whereas the abstract measurement is overlooked For example, if I put up a photo and I have things in the background of my photo and I put, in fact, I'll use Rick Porcello, who's a Tigers, he's a pitcher on the Tigers as an example. He recently joined Twitter and he tweeted a letter of thanks and appreciation for so many fans voting and using the pick Rick hashtag and a certain percentage, like I think 20 cents or whatever for each tweet, went to the Boys and Girls Club of America. So you had this phenomenal following of fans, and then you had, you know, this player who swore off Twitter and wasn't going to join. He saw just how much was done for him to campaign for him to get to the All-Stars that he went on and signed. And so he didn't write 140 characters. He shared a letter in one tweet. So that's what I think people are missing is that's not 140 characters. That's an entire letter that was done. Basically, Twitter is no real expense. you know. So without any money, Rick Porcello signs up, joins Twitter, and thanked his, all of his fans for doing that and didn't only use 140 characters. And that's the best example I could use when people think, oh, Twitter is only, it's only 140 characters. It's a, I could probably talk to someone within 15 minutes and have them master how to market by looking at their, you know, their profile, what their, what their bio has. For example, let's say you put something in your bio. You may want to take that out and just put your website. Because if someone goes to, your, goes to your Twitter handle, they may see your website and then they'll click on it to find out who you are rather than have a bio. So there are a lot of different tricks that can be done to get attention to what you're doing, whether it's to get traffic to your site or to get people to follow. But I think you know, just, just basically just talking to someone who knows Twitter, not being afraid of it, and then to have a uniqueness and maybe have more than one account that you, you use one account for having followers and another account for getting people to go just to, just to view it, just to see what's there. So that, that's what I would do. I would just have it be individualized and, and you know, spend some time and then also look at the trends. I mean, see what's trending. If you have something that's compatible, like let's say, you know, I don't know, a, a certain, certain something happens and you see a trend like Throwback Thursday, for example. Okay, so put up photos from games or or old-time soccer games so that you get attention and people are like, wow, oh, wow, or how did the game of soccer change? Or, you know, 
throw up some trivia questions or do something like that, have some giveaways, you know, just a simple T-shirt or use a hashtag. Those kind of things will draw attention to your account and then subsequently to what you want to promote. Hey, Chris, some of this uh, number stuff she's talking about sounds like it's kind of in line with what you're doing there. <laughs> uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, Michelle, I, I might send you a direct message <laughs> oh, absolutely. after we get Feel done. Free. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that, that you're, you're new to the game. And, and I, you know, I, I, how, how do you feel when you watch a game of soccer? Not how you think. How do you feel? Do, do you get the passion? Do you, did, have, did you reach the point of frustration in watching any games? I was not I mean, frustrated as, as opposed to, but if you mean frustrated in a good way, I was not frustrated. I, was, I enjoyed, put it this way, I watched the one game, and the, I don't usually miss a Tigers game, and I watched them, you know, that's, and there was one of the games, I, and I don't even think it was the United States, but one of the games that was on towards the end, I watched instead of, and I thought, I can't believe I'm watching this. <laughs> but I did. I watched the entire game because what, what I was able to do, I kept checking the Tigers' score, you know, and I was able to watch the Tigers on my Twitter feed, so it wasn't as though I wasn't up to speed with what was going on. And obviously baseball, you've got a long season. so But I did not feel frustration the only thing, like I said, the only thing that was, was unique, and, and I, I won't say frustration, the only thing was just the, the way the announcers were so excited and animated when it wasn't a score, but yeah. I was not frustrated. I, was, I actually, another thing, too, that, that I do, because I promoted Vegas, a radio station in Vegas that, you know, they do the odds, so that's, that's another thing that makes things exciting for me, because even if I'm not a better I pay attention to the odds, so I would look at the total, and I w- that's another way to get people interested too. And not that you want to promote betting if you're not interested, but I don't think there's anything wrong with predicting a final score or seeing which one of your followers thinks which you know what the final score will be. You don't have to bet money to to still have fun and to say, well, will it go to penalty kicks or won't it go to penalty kicks? And I and I think that makes it fun too. So that was another thing I would do. I would check the odds. You know, I would go to Las Vegas Review Journal, which is where, you know, I'll check the odds, I'll see the odds, and then I'll put that up. And I did it during the World Cup. You know, so a lot of my followers, they ended up, you know, they may not be interested in soccer, but they love the odds. So they would would look at it more, you know, to see like, oh, well, it'd only be two two goals. And, you know, so that makes it exciting too, I think. Yeah, you know, Uh, speaking of... Yeah, that's... uh, Sorry, Chris, but we're down to about the last minute and a half. Sure. Uh, That's Michelle from... uh, Morning Michelle. She's also here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Morning Michelle. Uh, she's also the owner of VerySexySports.com. Uh, I did sorry to get a chance to go into that angle. Hopefully next time we will because I've got some uh, some thoughts on that that I discussed here on the show previously. Some thoughts that may not be conventional in terms of uh, gender uh, as, as far as gender is concerned. Uh, so she can find her uh, Morning Michelle also on Twitter as well as her podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. Again, Chris Gluck uh, from PossessionWithPurpose.com. Also follow him on Twitter at Chris Gluck, P-W-P. Gluck is spelled G-L-U-C-K. I want to thank you both for being on. Thanks to Ryan Seelock. Thank you. Thank you very much. Also, thank you to Ryan Seelock and especially my co-host tonight, Matt Hoffman. 
Uh, join us again next Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the Yellow Carter Podcast on blogtalkradio.com.